So we just come off of July the 4th week, and I was encouraged and, and reminded that freedom is not free. Uh, this week I read a blog post from a minister friend of mine, Bob Russell, and he talks about uh, just months into the Revolutionary War how the Continental Army of 9,000 people faced uh, uh, a battle against the British troops that were 20 thousand people they were on the east river in new york and the british were coming after them they had blocked the river with uh, warships and it looked like the continental army was going to be destroyed but as night fell george washington devised a plan that they would set campfires in the hills along the river to make the british think they were camped out there and during the night they slipped around and cross the East River. But by morning, they had not moved all the equipment and all the soldiers across the river, and so they were fearful that the British would see them in the daylight. But during the night, a fog set in. One soldier said you couldn't see 20 feet in front of your face. Um, the New England Chronicle designated the maneuver a masterpiece and a sign that the providence of God favored us. When General Washington was later elected and uh, became the first president, he stated in his inaugural address of April the 30th, 1789, no people can be bound to acknowledge and adore the invisible hand which conducts the affairs of men more than those of the United States. Every step by which they have advanced to the character of an independent nation seems to have been distinguished by some token of providential agency. Respected historian David McCullough wrote in his book, 1776, incredibly, yet again, circumstances, fate, luck, providence, and the hand of God would be said so often intervene for the Continental Army. You know, often if we look at events, if we look at situations, if you believe, you will see the hand of God at work in doing things. And I believe the hand of God was on the United States and those early founders as they sought to battle the British for our freedom. And freedom did not come at an easy price. Freedom is not free. But you know what? So it is with the church. The church did not come at an easy price. It came at the death of Jesus Christ. And at his death, even though he was resurrected, he went through the pain and suffering much as a soldier would who fights in a war. And Jesus established his church through the apostles, and those apostles had to fight battles, many of them giving their lives as well so that the church could endure and stand strong. And today we celebrate that we have the freedom in this country to worship and to be here and to gather together uh, as the people of God. Uh, the church is an amazing thing if you think about it. It's been going on now for some 2,000 years. I was reminded as I did my study of the quote that Gamaliel, one of the Jewish uh, rabbis, a teacher of rabbis, said as they were arresting the apostles the first time 
and deciding what to do with them. He said, leave these men alone, for if their purpose or activity is of human origin, it will fail. But if it is from God, you will not be able to stop these men. And the church has been going now for some 2,000 years almost and, and fighting the fight. And the apostles, their job was not just to start the church. Their job was to grow the church and to build the church. And we're going to see today, once again, how the Holy Spirit worked among the people of God to bring them to the place they needed to be uh, to begin to grow the church. We're continuing our series on the book of Acts. Of course, we've been in this all summer long. Uh, it's called The Church is Born. And the whole book of Acts records for us how the church got started and then how it began to grow. To, to grow. And today we're going to think about this idea of Peter's vision expanding. I ask this question, how did the church expand beyond Judaism? I mean, if you think about it for just a minute, all of the disciples, all of Jesus' apostles were of Jewish background, all 12 of them. Uh, they, were, they were born into Judaism. Uh, they, Jesus was born into Judaism. Uh, you, you look at uh, the people that they ministered to in the early days. They were Jewish people. The church started in Jerusalem, the headquarters of the Jewish religion. And, and here they were. They, they had all these rituals and all this, this Jewish teaching was all around them. And yet, they rose above it. And they became what we know as the Christian faith today. They were began and they were centered in Jerusalem and in the Jewish tradition. And they had to change. Peter had to change. Peter was the leader of the apostles. And he was recognized by the apostles and the church as, as the leader. And people looked to him. And God began to work on Peter so that the church could expand and so it could grow to become all that God wanted it to be. I remember back in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You remember what Jesus said to the apostles? You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to where? The ends of the earth. God wanted the Jews early Christians to take that Christian message all over the world. Today we pick back up now. Uh, last week, uh, in my absence, I had Paul Viers, a friend of mine, preach. He did not preach from Acts. The week before, I think John Culp, he took us through Acts chapter 9 in Acts, and we saw the apostle Paul, a man named Saul, who later became known as Paul, which was his Greek name, and he became an apostle how he had persecuted the church and tried to, uh, to stop Christianity. But Saul was converted, and he became a Christian. And so God worked to expand his knowledge. I love what Paul said in, uh, in Acts chapter 26 when he's recounting his conversion. He said, God called me to go to the Jews, but also to be the apostle to the Gentiles. So God has his missionaries. He has the person that he's going to send out and is going to spread the gospel across the Roman Empire. Now God needs his leaders on board. 
And we're going to see at first, they were not so much on board with reaching out to people beyond Jewish people. I hope you realize that when God works in a situation, sometimes he's working on both ends of that situation. Uh, we, we see this over and over again in the Bible. I want you to remember that in Acts chapter 8, Saul, who became Paul, was persecuting the church. And he drove those people out of Judea. They spread out, the Bible says, throughout Judea and into Samaria and began to practice the Christian faith. We pick up in chapter 9, verse 32 of Acts, and we see it says this, As Peter traveled about the country, he went to visit the Lord's people who lived in Lydda. Now this Lydda is a little town. There's a road that goes from Jerusalem up to Joppa, which is a seaport on the coast where Jerusalem got all their goods from uh, across the ocean. And off of this road, two or three miles off of this road, there's a little town called Lydda. Peter was traveling toward Joppa, but he took a little side road and went up to Lydda, and there he ran into a person who was named Aeneas, and Aeneas had been crippled and had been bedridden for eight years. And people, he, Peter healed him. And you can imagine what happened after Peter healed him. People from all around came, and they heard, and they wanted to hear the message, and Peter preached the good news to these people. Then word got to Joppa. They sent people from Joppa and said, we, we got this lady over here. She's part of the church. Her name is Tabitha. That's her Hebrew name. Her Greek name is Dorcas, and she's dead. And we think Peter can do something. And so Peter travels to Joppa on the coast, and there he clears the room out, and Tabitha comes back to life course news of that just went crazy and people came to know the Lord and the first thing I want you to see as we think about this is is how God was working in Peter's life and Christ moved Peter out of Jerusalem he had to get Peter out of Jerusalem if he's going to take the message to the Gentile people because Peter was focused on the Jewish people now, the church is still in its infancy. It's, it's still small. It's still growing. It's still immature. There was that disaster of, of Saul breeding, breeding, breathing out murderous threats and, and threatening to put people in jail and killing Stephen. But that just helped to advance the gospel. It spread the people out. Uh, Peter probably was comfortable in Jerusalem just staying there among his own people and sharing the news of Jesus Christ. But somehow, God got Peter to move out. Maybe he knew these Christians had moved out and they needed some help. They needed some advice. Maybe he wanted to minister to them. Maybe he wanted to just introduce himself to some of them. But Peter left, and he began to get out of Jerusalem. He healed Ananias. He healed Tabitha. But here's what's interesting. If you look at verse 43, there in chapter 9, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. <clears throat> now you say, why is that interesting? Well, first of all, Peter stayed away from Jerusalem for some time. But secondly, 
a tanner, he worked with dead animal skins. He took dead animal skins and tanned them to make them into leather that could be used for various things. Well, it was against the Jewish practice to handle a, a dead animal. That made you unclean. Peter, being a religious leader, he would not want to be unclean, and he would have to go through all kinds of, uh, of rituals and, and cleansing and, and spend some time away from his ministry in order to become clean. But, but Peter stays in this home of this tanner. That shows me that he's moving away from all the old Jewish rules and regulations that were holding him back at this time. Peter began to move in a new direction which God wanted him to go. I heard about a little church. It was, well, to be honest with you, this little church was dying. It had been around for a long time, but uh, there weren't very many people coming. They were sort of stuck in their ways, and they were probably facing closing their doors. But a few new people came, and they said, you know, we need to change some things if we're going to revive this church. And they began to work, and they brought some new songs into the church. And one of the things, they had a communion table like this where they served communion each week. And every Sunday, though, the elders got up to do communion, and there was a cloth over that table. And the elders, as was the tradition of that church, they took that cloth and they folded it in half, and then they folded it in half again, and then they folded it over and over into a little square, and all the people are sitting there in silence watching the elders fold this cloth, and they lay it on the front pew, and then they would serve communion, and then they would go back and get the cloth, and they would unfold the cloth again, and unfold it, and they would lay it over the communion table. And, you know, a lot of people in the church said, we need to stop that practice. That's just dead time. We, why are we wasting time? We, they didn't even have a communion meditation because it took so long to fold the cloth. And so they had a congregational meeting, and we're talking about some of the ways they wanted to change the church, and this came up. And one lady jumped up and said, we can't do away with the cloth. We've always done it that way, and we, we, we can't stop doing it. That's the way you have to do it. And somebody said, well, there's nothing about that in the Bible, so we don't have to do it that way. Yeah, but we've always done it. We got, and, and, and she said, besides that, my mama made that cloth. And ever since this church started, they've used that cloth on the communion table. There was a little old lady in the very back of the church, and she stood up and she said, I want to say something. And she said, Miss Sally, I appreciate you thinking about your mama, but your mama made that cloth out of an old tablecloth she had at home, and she cut it down and hemmed up the edges of it. She was getting ready to throw that tablecloth away anyhow. And she said, let me tell you all the reason why they have that cloth. Because in the early days of the church, we didn't have heat and air conditioning. And in the summertime, we had to open the windows, and the flies got bad around the communion table. And so they made the cloth to cover the communion so the flies would go away. And we no longer, we have heat and air, we no longer need that cloth over the communion table. In fact, she said, we need to throw it away because the only thing it's doing is honoring the flies. So they did away with the cloth. Sometimes, if you're going to move forward, you have to make a change. 
God was working to change Peter. Look with me now at chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion, in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. One day, about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius, Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord, he asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. So an angel appears to this man, Cornelius, and calls him to send for Peter. What I want you to see next is Christ is using amazing events to change Peter's heart. Again, you're going to see God at work on both ends of a situation. He's at work on Cornelius, who's sending him an angel. He's going to be at work on Peter, as we'll see in just a minute, to, to bring him around. Now, Cornelius is a Gentile. He's not Jewish. And Peter is in Joppa, and he goes up on the roof. That was common practice in that day. Uh, they had flat roofs, and often it was a place of solitude, a place to go and be alone. It, it, sometimes they would eat meals up there in the quietness, and Peter climbs up a ladder, or they may have had stairs going up, and he's waiting on a meal to be prepared for him, and he goes up on the roof uh, to be alone. He has a vision. God sent him a vision and showed him a sheet coming down with all kinds of animals on it. Some of them were unclean animals, according to the Jewish regulation. And a voice from heaven, it's in red letters in my Bible, that means it's Jesus, and it says... Get up, Peter, kill and eat. And Peter says, no, I've never eaten anything unclean. I'm not going to start now. And the voice said, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This was Jesus speaking to Peter and telling him, it's okay. You don't have to follow the dietary laws anymore. In fact, in Mark chapter 7, uh, Jesus, in one of his teachings, declared that all foods were clean. So, Peter's here looking, uh, uh, hearing th these words and seeing this vision, and he realizes that Jesus is trying to show him that the Gentiles are not unclean either. It goes on to say that the Spirit spoke to him and said, Peter, I'm going to send some men for you. You are to go with these men back to Caesarea where Cornelius is and you're going to minister to those people. Peter knew they were Gentiles. In fact, as soon as Peter woke up, there were some men uh, that were calling out to him uh, down at the gate of the house where he was staying. God is at work on both ends. Look at verse 21. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you are looking for. Why have you come? 
The men replied, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. A holy angel will, uh, told him to ask you to come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Then Peter invited the men into his house to be his guests. Peter's changing. His heart's changing. These men are Gentiles. And Peter asked them, which was strictly against Jewish laws, to invite a Gentile into your household. Peter's recognizing what God is trying to do. In fact, God is, is really changing Peter's heart. You know, the, the Jewish people had these strict dietary laws about what you could, what you couldn't eat. Certain foods were unclean. They had laws about who you associate with, couldn't associate with the, you know, you could buy and sell from a Gentile, but you never would eat with a Gentile. You never would have a Gentile come into your house. Peter is showing that God is doing this new thing, and he's working on Peter's heart. And he's showing him that certain parts of this old ritual are just done with. You know what amazes me is that the timing. As soon as Peter's dream ends, the men show up at the gate to his house. Again, we see God at work. You know what's amazing to me, as I was thinking about this sermon last week, a very similar situation happened to me. Uh, we have a, a family member in our extended family that is uh, seven-day Adventist. And they have strict dietary laws about what they eat. And they don't eat pork. In fact, I did some research. Many Seventh-day Adventists don't eat any meat at all. But this particular family member, we were having ribs, and we invited him to stay for supper, and he said, no, I can't eat that, and you shouldn't either. I did. I wanted but I didn't. <laughs> Jesus said he declared all food clean. There are several places where the Apostle Paul in Colossians chapter 2 and 1 Timothy chapter 4, he, he talks about don't let people judge you based on what you eat. That's not the important thing. God was trying to show Peter by way of this that it's not about food. It's not about the nationality of somebody. It's about people that know the good news telling people that don't know the good news so that they can be saved. Well, the next day, Peter went with these guys, and he took six Jewish believers with him. Now, they were Christian, but they were still steeped in that Jewish law, and he took them with him, and they went to Caesarea to visit these Gentiles. In chapter 10, we see uh, that they found Cornelius' house. Uh, when they went in, Cornelius bowed down to worship Peter, and Peter said, no, it's not me you worship, get up. And he began to explain to him the gospel message and how Christ had died and been risen and that through faith in him your sins can be forgiven. And he preached the gospel to this household where Cornelius had all of his family, he had friends, it was a packed house. And he began to teach them. Listen to what verse 44 says. While Peter was still speaking these words, 
the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. You see, God was showing Peter and these other six witnesses that something new was going to happen and that God was blessing the Gentiles with bringing them in to be part of the church. Let me say a word about the tongues here. Those are, you know, the apostles spoke in tongues, the Bible says, on the day of Pentecost when the church started. It's some kind of uh, gibberish language. It says that as they spoke in these tongues, everybody who spoke different languages was able to understand what they were saying. This, this tongues was a sign for Peter that these men had been accepted by God even though they were Gentiles. Peter recognized right away what was happening. And he said, what's to prevent them from being baptized? And they were baptized into Christ. Now, let me say this. Not everybody that receives the Holy Spirit can speak in tongues. Some people get the gift and some don't. But everybody who becomes a believer in Jesus Christ receives the Holy Spirit, as Ricky talked about in his message today, to dwell inside of them. These men got that Spirit, and it was evidenced by the fact that they spoke in tongues. Peter's life is changing. He's recognizing, boy, God's doing some stuff I never dreamed he would do. Sometimes ministry can be uncomfortable. I heard about a preacher, preacher Miles McPherson. He stepped out of his office one day uh, to walk down the hallway, and he got to the elevator, and the elevator opened, and this big, huge guy, 6'4", 250 pounds, covered in tattoos not that there's anything wrong with that but it was just a little different for his church and the guy had on a cut off sweatshirt and cut off blue jeans and Pastor McPherson was a little taken back and a little astonished and he introduced himself and said what, what are you here for can I help you and the guy said yeah I'm here for my first day of ministry and to be honest with you, I'm a little bit nervous. And he said, well, maybe I can help you find where you're supposed to be. What ministry? The church had over 100 ministries. He said, what ministry are you here for? He said, well, I'm here to do the knitting ministry. The knitting ministry? <laughs> he said, yeah, I actually don't knit, I crochet. But they invited me to come. You've been preaching about how we all need to serve, and I figured it was time that I found my place, and the one thing I know how to do is crochet, and I figured I could help make those little hats and those little blankets for the kids in the hospital, so I signed up for the knitting ministry. He said, tell me something. How did you come to learn to crochet? He said, well, for 12 years, I was in the Hells Angels motorcycle gang and in fact I went to prison and while I was in prison they had a class and I learned to crochet and now I figure I can use that as a ministry for the Lord about that time this 
little lady comes walking up. She said, you must be Jim. I've come to bring you to the knitting ministry so you can help. You see, I'm going to tell you, God works in all kinds of ways. And he uses all kinds of people. Even former hell's angels can do ministry for the Lord if they believe in Jesus. Christ was at work in Peter. He was trying to show him as the leader of the apostles, the leader of the church, that he had to get beyond this idea of not reaching the Gentile people. And that he did. And Peter would face ridicule for that. Chapter 11, verses 1 through 3, the apostles and the believers throughout Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. So when Peter went up to Jerusalem, the circumcised believers, that is the Jewish believers, criticized him and said, you went to the house of uncircumcised men and ate with them? Shame on you, Peter. What are you thinking? And what did Peter do? You see, Christ used opposition to direct Peter's leadership. And here's what Peter did. Peter stood up. And Peter began to tell the story of how he had had the vision and how the, that uh, God had worked as he shared the gospel with those Gentile people and how the Spirit came on him. And eventually they said, well, if God did that, then it must be okay for Gentiles to come into the kingdom. And God was preparing the church for what was about to happen. This respected leader, Peter, he had to stand his ground. And he had to show the church that they had to change. And again, the timing of that whole thing is just impeccable verse 19 now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus and Antioch spreading the word only among Jews some of them however men from Cyprus and Cyrene went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks also telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus, the Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. You see, at first, they were just keeping it to the Jews. But then, something happened, and some people said, no, we got to take this to the Gentile people as well. When the church heard about this, they sent Barnabas over to, uh, to Antioch to go check on this thing. Guess what Barnabas does? Remember that guy named Saul that got converted? He went and got Saul, who became known as the Apostle Paul. And he took him with him to Antioch. And the word says that they spent a whole year there ministering to the people of Antioch. And we are getting ready to see next week. Don't miss how Paul and Barnabas go out and begin to spread the gospel to the Gentiles in the Roman Empire. God had his missionary. He needed his leader, Peter, on board for support. And he had been working in the life of Peter. 
You know what's interesting? It says down here in verse 26, they were called Christians first at Antioch. Well, in chapter 12, we don't have time to read all this, but uh, King Herod saw what was happening, how Christianity was spreading. Most of his kingdom, Judea, though he was not a Jew, they were Jewish. He wanted to find favor with them, so he arrested James and had him put to the sword, which means he cut his head off. He then arrested Peter. He was going to put a stop to this, so he would seem like a good guy to the Jewish people that he ruled over, and Peter was in jail. It was going to be a trial the next day, but an angel of the Lord came and freed Peter during the night. The text says that he had 16 guards around him, four groups of four soldiers, and yet through the night, the angel leads Peter out. They go to one of the houses where the Christian is staying. The angel left. Peter knocks on the door, and it took a while, but finally this lady named Rhoda came and answered the door. When she heard Peter's voice, she was so excited, she forgot to unlock the door and ran and told the other people in the other room. They said, you're crazy, that's not Peter, that must be an angel or something. No, it's Peter. They ran and finally opened the door and saw Peter and everybody rejoiced. But the guards the next day, they were looking for Peter. And they could not find him. Peter had been hidden. But the people of the church were energized because of what they saw. And they hid Peter. Herod was so mad, he had, he had the guards that let Peter escape put to death. Then Herod left and went to Caesarea, which was his home base. And while he was in Caesarea, he had some people praise him and said, You have the voice of a God. Well, an angel came and struck him dead. And the Bible says, I know this is gross, he was eaten by worms. I want you to think about what happened. God is at work changing Peter's heart. He's strengthening his leadership. He showed the people that God had blessed Peter. At the same time, he took out the opposition, King Herod. He even showed the opposition from within the church that Peter was on the right track going to the Gentile people. He was setting up his church for success because everything's getting, to go, getting ready to go crazy as Paul, will see next week, goes out and begins to share the gospel. You know, we need to say a word about prayer because the people were praying for Peter. It might seem like a futile prayer if you think about it. They had prayed when Jesus was arrested, and what happened to Jesus? He was crucified. They, I'm quite sure it doesn't say that they prayed when James was arrested. What happened to him? He was beheaded. Now Peter is arrested, and they were praying. Probably to no end. Lord, just don't let Peter suffer. We know what's going to happen. But Peter was saved. Why Peter and not James? Why do we pray sometimes and we get the answer that God, that we want, 
and we pray other times and we don't get the answer that we want. The only thing we could surmise is that God knows what is best and God knows what He needs to do. And we have to trust that. I think God answers prayer in three or four different ways. Sometimes He says yes, and sometimes He says no, and sometimes He says maybe later, and sometimes He says, you've got to be kidding me. But God answers our prayers, and we have to trust the answer that we get. Those people trusted. Peter was spared. Herod, the opposition, was put to death. And the church was allowed to continue to spread and to grow. And here's our connection. As Peter's vision expanded, he led the church to expand beyond the ways of the past. No longer were they shunning and rejecting Gentile people. Now they were beginning to see that God wanted them included in his church. And God had been preparing Peter for what was about to happen as the Apostle Paul needed Peter's support as he began to go out and spread the gospel and it expanded. Acts chapter 12, verse 24. But the word of God continued to spread and flourish. I'm going to tell you something. God changed Peter's vision. I want to ask you today, what is your vision for God's church? Would you be content if it never changed? Would you be content if God never brought anybody new or God never brought anybody at least that was any different than you? God is looking for all kinds of people to use in his ministry. He's looking for people that have been bedridden for eight years. He's looking for, for people that have died and been raised from the dead. He's looking for people that are soldiers in Caesarea. He's even looking for former hell's angels to come and be part of his knitting ministry. And God wants us to reach out and bring people to his church that his church will be filled and that the ministry will be done to everybody. Let's pray. God, we thank you today for men like Peter and Barnabas and, and, uh, and James who gave his life trying to serve you. For the Apostle Paul, Lord, that you worked in their lives and you began to teach them and show them how you wanted to spread your message to everybody in the world that all may know the saving grace of Jesus Christ. And my prayer today is that you use us, that you help us to see that you want to work through us to bring people to the saving grace of Jesus. For it's in His strong and mighty name we pray and praise today. Amen.